From John chapter 1, hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying that this is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You all are a big part of the reason why I'm here this morning. Without you, I would really have nothing to proclaim. Sure, I could be a teacher of a philosophy um, or a philosophy professor, but I would really not be proclaiming. I would not be preaching anything to you today. You see, something has happened in the world. Something has taken root even in your own hearts and lives, and I could see it. Your love, your faith, your sacrifice, your commitment, your, your joy show that something has given you life and meaning and purpose, and I can see that, and I, I experience that in our own faith community, our church here at Fellowship. So I know that I'm not just a philosophy teacher, but that I'm pointing to something, I'm proclaiming something that's very real and very tangible, something that I could see in, in most of you here this morning. It lives within us and among us, as imperfect as we are, as a mixed bag of, that the church is today, I could see it living within us and among us and expressing itself through us. Without you in flesh and blood, I'd wonder if it were just another philosophy or just someone's teaching I was just passing on. But praise be to God, it's, it's more than that. Today I have something to proclaim to you. Today I have something to preach about. I have something to say from God's word. Praise be to God. Well, Christmas, what is Christmas? Well, I, I watch a lot of Christmas shows over and over again every year. And well, inevitably, someone, an actor, always says something like, um, Christmas, well, it means something different to different people. <laughs> and you get the sense that Christmas can mean, well, whatever you want it to mean. 
that it doesn't really have any basis in history or fact or logic or reason. Whatever it means to you, what means to you. Whatever it means to me, it means to me. And I wonder if that's where our culture is today. You do you over there, I'll do me over here, and, and we'll just pretend that nothing has real meaning or basis in reality. You know, as a culture, we also tend to toy with certain Eastern religions as seen in our use of certain religious terms like karma or our use of the word universe, like the universe has given me a bad day or, or the universe is going to make things right. So the sense we get from our culture is that there is this impersonal force behind the scenes kind of orchestrating things or directing things in our lives and apparently making, thing, making sure things like karma happen, especially for those who have been naughty to us. The universe brings justice, and maybe you hear that from your friends. I don't know. Well, I found this to be very interesting this week, considering this, this passage that we're preaching on Christmas morning. This aspect of our culture is very similar, it seems to me, like the one the Gospel writer of John is addressing. A Greek Gnostic understanding was that there was this impersonal force behind the scenes giving life, meaning, and purpose for the whole universe. And they gave it a name, and they called it Logos, our universe, maybe. Logos is the ultimate reality behind all things for the Greek Gnostics. So, so where Matthew was giving us a Jesus and telling us about the Jesus that the Jews were longing for and the, the Messiah who was to come, Luke gave us the nitty-gritty details, the juicy details about the events that happened and, and when Jesus came into the world with the shepherds and the, and the angels and Mary and Joseph in the manger. Well, John takes it to a whole other level here. John lifts our gaze even higher toward our understanding of Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. John is showing us how Jesus is the divine Logos, the Word made flesh. God speaks through, to all of humanity through the living Word, Jesus Christ. And that, that's Christmas, that's a biblical Christmas grounded in history and truth and logic and reason in the Gospels. In other words, God gets to define what Christmas is, not you or me. God gets to define Christmas. Well, there's some people who may not even know what we're talking about here. Or who you're celebrating or worshiping on Christmas. Well, even non-Christians, non-religious people celebrate uh, re this religious holiday called Christmas by giving each other gifts on December 25th, and there's nothing wrong with that. Many people, though, forget, or at least it never enters their minds, that Jesus is God's gift to us, and therefore the reason that we give gifts to one another. But even Christians overlook the, an important fact that Jesus existed long before the incarnation in Mary's womb and at his birth in Bethlehem. The cosmic, the pre-existent nature of Jesus that the Gospel of John shows us this morning. Jesus, the Son of God, existed with God from the very beginning before the creation of all matter. In, in fact, the Bible says that all things were created by him and for him, and in, all things, in him all things hold together. If you want to read more on that, you can read Colossians chapter 1. That's the cosmic Christ we worship this Christmas. It's the pre-existent Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who's often forgotten at our Christmas celebrations that are often manger-bound and, and me-focused. 
Well, today, many will readily acknowledge that a wise man was born, a special man, a prophet, and your Muslim friends will, will say that, a good teacher. Jehovah's Witnesses will say that too, and, and he would, they wouldn't say that, they would say that Jesus is another one of God's creation, not made or begotten before time, I mean. But the prologue of the Gospel of John could not explain more clearly the cosmic Christ, the divine Christ. Well, just read John chapter 1, verse 18 again. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God. You have friends that say the Bible never says Jesus is God. Who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. But as John, as John said, light shined in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. Many people are groping in the darkness today for something tangible to hold on to in an unstable and uncertain world. Politicians offer hope with their political and economic answers to the human condition. Educational institutions offer education as the answer to all of our problems. Psychology and therapists offer their assessments and their solutions as well. Science has explained our external world and psychology explains our internal world. And many in the modern world have emptied themselves of the ability to see a world where God is at the center. Or even can have a biblical imagination anymore. I mean, is it even okay to believe in, in miracles anymore? Unfortunately, a pagan worldview has replaced a God-centered worldview. Everything happens by chance or just by cause and effect. Well, Leslie Newbegin was a missionary and theologian. He wrote how the gospel is foolishness to Westerners. Not to everybody in the world, but to Westerners. He says he had just as much difficulty talking about the gospel and talking about miracles to people in Great Britain than he did in India where he was a missionary. The modern person has a difficult time seeing God and seeing God in their world or God's activity in their own life. But the Bible declares the truth that God does intervene into human affairs and he speaks to us. That God has entered our world and he's lived among us. God with us. Jesus in the flesh. John chapter 1 is full of profound and lofty declarations about the cosmic nature of Jesus, the logos of God. Here in this gospel, we have truth claims that deserve and demand a response. We read about Jesus' divinity and humanity, his preexistence and the incarnation, the revelation and the sacrifice, all compacted into this deceptively simple introduction to John's gospel. So let's quickly take a look at these four parts of the, of the passage that we read this morning from John chapter 1. First, the Logos and God. The Logos and God. The first part of our reading, verses 1 and 2. Logos is the word for word in the Greek. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was with God in the beginning, and just like our children's message told us this morning, if we have a hard time understanding that, replace the word word with Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. The Logos, as the word of God, could have made the Jewish readers and hearers think about the revelation uh, or the word of God spoken at creation. 
when God created all things. The very words, in the beginning and in the beginning, they would hearken us back to Genesis chapter 1, especially if you were a Jew and, and remembering God's creation of all things. But to the Greek Gentiles, the word logos would have sounded a lot like the common philosophical understanding of the day. For, for the Greeks, the logos was the divine power throughout the universe that gave the universe meaning and unity, a logical force behind the scenes, as I mentioned, the, the DNA of everything that there is, the, the operating software of the world. John says Jesus is the logical universe. Jesus is the logic of the universe, the all-important unifying force. He indeed is the revelation of God, the creator. So in a way, John is preaching both to the Jews and the Gentiles here taking them to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the word and light came into the world and there was creation of all things. And then we're seeing Jesus coming into the world, the light of the world, making a new creation. But he's also speaking to the Greeks and their understanding of the universe, their understanding of the logos. Jesus is that logos. In the beginning was the logos, the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. There's distinction and there's unity there. The Word was with God, two different beings. The Word was God, one essence. This is the beginning of Trinitarian thought. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he existed long before Joseph and Mary. And John wants to make sure we know that this morning. Yes, Jesus was the long-expected Messiah the Jewish people were hoping for and longing for, but he was more. He is the Son of God and is from the beginning. The Logos and God are one and the same. Therefore, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, existed from all eternity. He made his human debut for Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, and eventually for the Magi in Bethlehem. But something happened that had never happened before. God, eternity, stepped into time, stepped into a human being, what does that do? Well, it's affirming the good creation of God, affirming the material world, the human body. In the beginning begins and ends the first stanza of this ancient hymn or poem in verses 1 and 2. In the beginning God spoke and the world was created. Now God speaks his truthful word again in the person of Jesus Christ. And a new creation begins as God himself takes on human flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. So God and the Logos. Secondly, this morning, the Logos and creation, verses 3 and through 8. John has so stylized his prologue here to his gospel after the creation account of Genesis 1. And, and you can see that if you keep reading the gospel of John, you see day 1, day 2, day 3, as in these are the days of creation, right? They're pointing back to the days of creation of Genesis 1 and saying, well, this is a new creation now. So day one, Jesus did this. Day two, Jesus did that. And everywhere we read about this, Jesus acting or doing something, it's God acting throughout the Gospel of John here. It's God creating, God redeeming. It is God's creative power at work in and through Jesus Christ. In verse 3 and following, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like in the creation story, the world is in a state of darkness and chaos. 
now due to sin and the fall. God is now doing a new thing, though. God is breaking into human history, saying, let there be light. He's breaking into human time, human flesh. Something objective and absolute and definitive and true has happened. That is John's, this isn't John's theory of how things happened or just a philosophy, John's philosophy or someone's opinion or, or preference or a made up meaning of Christmas. This isn't the philosophy of John, it's the gospel of John. It's a witness of what has happened, a testimony. This is what happened. God has begun a new covenant and a new recreation of the world through his son Jesus Christ as God has stepped into time the logos and creation thirdly the logos and revelation verses 9 through 13 the logos the word made flesh is a revelation of God himself the true light it says in verse 9 the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world Jesus is the light that came into the world he created, but the world did not recognize him, it says. They knew him not, according to some of your translations. He came to his own, his own people, but they didn't receive him. God was piercing the darkness with the light of life, with himself. He was ushering in new creation and new possibilities and new life. He was also revealing himself in the flesh. In Christ, God shows himself to us. He reveals himself to us. So it says that Jesus is the light that gives light to everyone. Does he mean here that this is kind of a general revelation? That this is how God is clearly seen? So as the Apostle Paul says, everyone is without excuse? Maybe. You see, the light shines on everyone, or as the hymn says this in this, the hymn, This is My Father's World, he shines in all that's fair in the world. But the light shines on everyone, thereby forcing a distinction between good deeds and evil deeds, a difference between truth and falsehood. John, a little later in his gospel, he goes on to mention the words of Jesus when he says, light has come into the world, but, but people love the darkness instead. Why did they love the darkness instead? Because their deeds were evil. Light exposes whatever is hidden in the darkness, and, and not everybody's going to be happy about that. The light of Christ makes a sharp distinction between good and evil, right and wrong. You see, Christmas is wonderful, but for some people, the light of Christ coming into the world and coming into their lives, well, it'll be disturbing as well, because it's going to shine some light on some dark places. That's not going to be all too welcoming. There's a reason why everybody, it seems, even non-religious folks, welcome Jesus as a baby in the manger. How cute is a baby? How innocent and simple is a baby? And, and he hasn't said anything yet, right? So we can say of Jesus whatever we want to say of Jesus. And if he's just a baby in a manger, we can make him out to be whatever we want him to be for us. But he's not in the manger anymore, is he? The living word has spoken. And we have his words in the Bible. Christ is the revelation of God. The world did not recognize him. His own people did not receive him. But, verse 12, that's one of my favorite verses. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
It reminds me of our part, my part, to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. Yet to all who did receive him, to, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who received the Christ child into their hearts and lives, to those who believed in the name, meaning Savior, they would be born again. They would be a new creation in Christ, right? The Apostle Paul talks about that too. You're a new creation in Christ. You're spiritually reborn. God reveals salvation in the birth of his son through Christ as God adopts us into his family. And finally, fourth, the Logos and the Incarnation. The Logos and the Incarnation, verses 14 to 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Not just grace, grace and truth. The word became flesh, John writes, to the shock of the Greeks. From their perspective, there was a, there was a difference between the physical and the spiritual, and the, the, physical, the physical material world was evil and bad and something to be escaped from, to run away from. It was disgusting and filthy, and you had to get away from the body, for example. So the ultimate goal was to escape from the body. God's creation was not good to the Gnostics. So to say that God became flesh is almost a blasphemous, a very disturbing thought to the Greeks. Yet John is proclaiming something to them. The testimony is that the word, the Logos, became flesh, incarnated, enfleshed in a human being. Again, reaffirming God's good creation. The word, the Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John says. Maybe to the shock of the Jews. That word for dwelling here is tent. God tented with us in Jesus Christ. God dwelled, lived with us in Jesus Christ. And to the Jews, it would remind them of what? It would be an obvious reminder of God being with his people Israel in the wilderness, in the tabernacle. Another way of saying God tabernacled with us in Jesus Christ. God being with us in Jesus. The glory of God in the tabernacle, that was the presence of God. Now you're saying that the presence of God is in Jesus Christ? John's saying, yeah, that's what he's talking about. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying that God walked among us in Jesus. He moved into the neighborhood. He took off his shoes and he stayed a while. Therefore, the glory of God is not just seen in his power and miracles, but in his very presence with us, even in his suffering and death too. And, and John's going to tell us this throughout his gospel. And then in verse 16, it says, Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. Out of his fullness we receive grace upon grace already given. God never gives up giving us grace, his free gift, his undeserved, unearned gifts. Because Jesus is God in the flesh, his words have authority more than any other prophet or teacher in this world, an authority that exists whether we would ascribe it to him or not, or whether we believe in it or not. The Logos became flesh and walked among us. The Logos became one of us. That's a huge affirmation of God's good creation and God's commitment to the ones 
who have been created in his own image. That's you and me. That's how much God loves us. He became one of us. So John's not offering us another message of hope along the lines of the politicians or the educators or the psychologists or philosophers today. And I'm not just another teacher of philosophy this morning. This is what I proclaim. John is telling us the message of hope, the only hope for the human condition. This isn't just one teaching among many. This is the truthful testimony of the Gospels that John the Baptist testified to as well, to the light of God's wisdom that came in Christ. As it says in 1 Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let us remember that this Christmas. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus wasn't just an inspired carpenter or model citizen for us to mimic. He was and is God himself in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. Because of Christmas, the incarnation, we know what God is like through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the eternal God made flesh. What a grand and profound mystery that we celebrate this Christmas. It is God himself who pierces the darkness and the evil of our world with the light of a new creation, the light of new possibilities, new ways of being human, new life and second chances. Jesus was around long before he entered that manger maternity, continues to grant us one blessing after another, one blessing in place of blessings already given. So may your Christmas this morning be filled with awe and joy as you worship the Christ, the King of heaven and earth. Praise be to the living word. Would you pray with me? God of heaven and earth, we thank you for making your home with us through Jesus, your son. You have experienced the joys and the sorrows of being human. You understand our temptations, our longings, our impatience, our limitations. And we're thankful that you hear us when we cry out to you with our needs, with our protests for a world gone wrong, with our prayers for peace and justice. And you hear us when we lift our songs of praise to you on this festive day. For we do praise you on this Christmas morning as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior. Help us to always keep Christ at the center of our lives and our homes. And may we go from here with the hope of Christmas in our hearts, a hope that overflows with encouraging words and deeds that bless others. And may our works of service demonstrate the love that we have for you and each other. We pray this in the name of the one who came to save, even Jesus our Lord, our Emmanuel. Amen.